The first reading this morning is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, beginning at the first verse. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and you will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, 
restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading today is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119, starting in verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear now the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. The great um, emphasis found in the book of Matthew is one of Jesus being a teacher And in that light, let's pray. Father, we indeed are your children who constantly need your guidance. We need your instruction. 
direction in our lives. So Lord, we um, ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to be amongst us and to teach us, just as you taught Moses and the prophets and the apostles. We pray that you would teach us from your word this morning and that we'd have ears to hear and hearts that are willing to obey. And again, we ask this so that uh, your son Jesus will be glorified and that indeed we, your people, will be salt and light in this world. Amen. Well, what a very rich passage. And um, I remember the words of the great Professor Flusser from the Hebrew University, who always used to say, one can't study the Sermon on a Mount enough. And when it's studied in its second temple period Jewish context, and its biblical context, um, it never ceases to reward us. In fact, we sometimes think of the Sermon on the Mount something like a diamond, yes? And uh, like any diamond, you can hold it up and uh, keep turning the diamond, and turning the diamond. And as we look at a diamond from, a, from another perspective, yes, um, we find we see something different. And as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, right, from uh, different perspectives, and there are a multitude, yes, we find uh, new treasures, uh, and yet at the same time, new challenges. So last week we uh, introduced this, the Sermon on the Mount in the context that uh, this was teaching given not to the, to the world at large, although we're happy if the world at large, the secular world or the non-Christian world, uh, wants to admire and attempt to apply what uh, Jesus teaches. But um, you may remember that we noted that 17 times between Matthew 5 and Matthew 7, Jesus talks about your father. So he's talking to the disciples. We're talking to those uh, who have uh, committed themselves yes, to, to being uh, disciples of Jesus. And Jesus even goes as far to uh, talk about uh, or to connect the Beatitudes with the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom of heaven, that term is sometimes used slightly different by Jesus, yes, depending on the circumstances. Um, there's different nuance, different overlapping meanings but occasionally Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven as being his movement, the movement of people who have made or who are making Jesus king. Yes, his community, his, his family. A place, yes, where he is ruling and reigning and bringing redemption and transformation in the lives of uh, in the lives of such uh, a community. Uh, 
And the Beatitudes, of course, reminded us, yes, in a very radical way, that um, reality in this community or reality in the place where Jesus rules and reigns is um, different than the reality uh, and the world in which we live. So those who mourn, yes, those who mourn are comforted. Those who are merciful, those who are meek, inherit the earth, where of course the values of today's world says, well, if you're weak or meek or soft, you're gonna get, you're gonna get bulldozed and you'll be a sucker or some kind of uh, a fool if you don't uh, necessarily stick up for yourself. Or if you show mercy, goodness gracious, you don't want to do that, right? But uh, Jesus promises right. if we show mercy, right? Mercy will be shown, ultimately mercy will be, will be shown to us. So it's a different reality. It's a different reality in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the, these beatitudes, which sound so fresh or radical, um, also in some ways uh, exemplify the life of Jesus himself. Because is not Jesus meek and merciful? Is not Jesus persecuted and so on? And the challenge for all of us, yes, even in the opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount, is that um, being disciples of Jesus, being called to follow him, actually we're called to imitate that life, called to imitate, uh, you might say, those values. And um, it's in the imitation of those values or it's living as Jesus lived or living out the teachings of Jesus that we come, we're not only disciples or we're not only imitators, but we come to even a deeper place of actually sharing the life that Jesus has for us or sharing in the life, I should say, that he has with his father. So discipleship, come and follow me, it's not simply walking behind Jesus, but it's actually sharing in his life. And that's not done in a mystical way. Although prayer helps, going to part, worship helps, Bible study helps. And ultimately, what allows us to share in that life what distinguishes us from real discipleship and real commitment other than perhaps just pretending or being half-hearted is obedience. But obedience to what? Obedience to the Beatitudes? Well, that's the beginning. But there's something more, and that something more is in our passage today. And um, because it sounds, all of this might sound so radical and new, maybe it sounds, sounded radical and new to people in the first century, and it sounds 
to us something new, something completely different, not something like came in the, it came from the past, certainly not like the Old Testament, not like the law of Moses. Then and now, Jesus has to make a clarification. And the clarification is found in 517. And um, it says as follows, we're all very familiar with it. But again, I don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but, but, but to fulfill them. So, Here's a passage, I think, that's been probably misunderstood for hundreds of years uh, and with uh, some very serious consequences. Because the way that we understand the passage is very often and even very common. Well, Jesus came and fulfilled everything. And that makes me free. Sort of like the example of Jesus came to Jerusalem, which was a, t- it's a town of really bad, drive, uh, really poor drivers. And he perfectly kept, you know, in the midst of all the traffic chaos and uh, poor driving habits, he, Jesus, perfectly, perfectly and drove through the city and not once did he ever break a traffic law? He didn't change lanes in the middle of an intersection. He didn't speed. He always used his blinker. Yes. And then Jesus went to heaven. And it means I can also drive around Jerusalem or Chicago or Atlanta or wherever you come from. And I can drive any way I want to. Right? I don't have to use a blinker and I don't have to obey, the, obey a speed limit. Yes, that is very often the way that we understand. Um, that's, you might say that's our perspective. And it's colored, you might say, by our understanding of what the law is. Yes, because we use the mantra, we're under grace, we're not under law. And it is true, we are indeed saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to to earn God's favor. But at the same time, at the same time, we forget, yeah, what is the purpose of the law? And why does Jesus have to make this statement? Yes. No, people who tell me, well, yeah, that legalism and that stuff in the Old Testament doesn't really apply to us. Um, I always say, well, you know, in the five books of Moses, there's 613 commandments, some negative, some positive. And then I mentioned that I had a friend who once counted the commandments in the New Testament. And how many commandments do you think there might be in the New Testament besides just love? A thousand and seventeen. 
1,017 commandments. And so the Torah, just the way we translate law, wasn't understood, and still to this day isn't understood only as rules and regulations. But it is grace because it's God's guidance and direction and instruction to his people. And why do we say it's grace? It's grace for two reasons. One, it is grace because the law, the so-called law, the so-called rules and regulations that uh, we read about or don't want to read in the Old Testament because we think they have no relevance to us. They're given for our good. They're given for the good of uh, the human family, or given at least in this case, in that case, for the good of the people of Israel. Because otherwise, without law, without law, we will tear ourselves apart. Right? We will, we will destroy ourselves and we will, we will revert to chaos. And there are a number of verses, for example, Deuteronomy 6.24, which tells us the Lord commanded us to obey these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as in the case today. What's the purpose? And here I think we have to sort of get rid of the, the, our, the image of God being an old man, right? Looking down upon us uh, and waking up every morning and saying, how can I make people miserable today? Yes, what, what fun thing can I uh, deny, you know, how can I deny them uh, pleasure? Or how can I uh, spoil their day? Yes, by uh, making things difficult for them. No, God wants, right? God's purpose is to bless us, right? And to enter into relationship with us. Uh, and he understands, right? If left to our own devices, what kind of society or what kind of community we will end up will end up creating. Or put a little, I think a little more, a little better, is in Deuteronomy 10, and it says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask you but to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Right, for your own good. Because otherwise, without right, the commandments or without the Torah, we fall into confusion. We fall, we uh, end up destroying ourselves and end up destroying others. Right? So take, for example, Leviticus 18, which is the commandments about inappropriate sexual relations not a chapter that many in the church would even want to read, much less study today. What's the purpose of restricting sexual relations um, to only marriage? 
because of the confusion and the great hurt, um, especially to women and children, that's caused, right, when there are no prohibitions, right? It was for the good of society, not that God wanted somehow to stop us from having fun. And look at the fruit, the continuing growing fruit of the sexual revolution. The abortions, the loneliness, right? Children without fathers, gender confusion, right? It's leading to chaos. What's, what was creation all about? Creation was God establishing order out of chaos. And it's our human tendency to always revert to chaos, being helped along by the devil, right? The prince of chaos. And so the Torah, which was written by the spirit of God or written by the finger of God, is given for, for our own good. But secondly, and even more importantly, right? The purpose of Torah, the purpose of law uh, was to create, yes, but through our obedience, holiness, yeah, holiness. What is, what is holiness? Holiness is to, be, to separate ourselves from evil and to do good, right? Holiness always has two parts. And when we say God is holy, we say that he is, he is separate, he's radically different, He's other, and God is also good. I have to remind people that we have a lot of gods around us, whether they are from the ancient world or we have idols that uh, parade as gods today. And many of, the, many of these so-called gods with a small g can be very powerful, but none of them are good. None of them have our best interest at heart. What makes the God of Israel holy is not only, again, his power, right, his otherness, but also that, uh, that his goodness, okay? God, the God of Israel is good. And why does God command us to be holy six times in the book of Leviticus, be holy as I am holy? Yes, it's so that we separate ourselves from what is evil, and at the same time, we practice what is good. And the, the, the goal, by the way, of holiness is not holiness. The goal of the commandments isn't just to do the commandments, right? That's not the end. The end of all of this is access to God. Because without holiness, no one sees the Lord. Right? Yes, no one sees the Lord. So that's, that's the purpose of, of God's guidance, his instruction. It's the purpose of Torah. Again, we may have a negative view, but if you ever start feeling a little negative, then reread Psalm 119, which talks about the way that God, the, 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 the way that the psalmist loves God's Torah, his, his law, his guidance, his direction. And so Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish that. Or I haven't come to do this so that it has no meaning for you. Because uh, it could be best, I think, understood um, in um, the way that uh, a number of scholars here in Jerusalem have approached this. 
which is um, the term abolish and fulfill are, te are technical terms. Yes, levetel and lekayem. And to fulfill is, Jesus is saying, I haven't come to, um, I haven't come to cancel, uh, or maybe we should start with levetel. I haven't come to misinterpret the Torah, but I've come to interpret it properly. I've come to give it its proper meaning. And Jesus is saying to his listeners then and saying to, our, uh, to, listener, uh, to, to us today, you, we can't throw this stuff out. We can't say, well, you know, it doesn't apply to me or it makes no difference. Um, it makes no difference in my life. Um, after all, again, I'm free from the law. I'm free from the law. No, we're not free from the law as, as, as it's understood. Are we free from stealing? Are we free from committing murder? No, but what Jesus does is to establish its authority or its importance in the life of his movement. But at the same time, he goes a little bit further. He's going to claim, he's going to claim that I have the authority to give what we call the Old Testament or what we want to call the law, I have the right interpretation. And therefore, as I interpret the scripture, as I interpret the law, okay, this is, um, this is what you might say is an incumbent upon us. As he esteemed it, we need to esteem it as well. And Jesus goes on to say, you know, that um, all of this, you might say, is important because he, he'll continue. He says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in my movement. Uh, probably the best way to understand this is uh, Jesus is talking about anyone who, um, you might say, ignores or dismisses the least or the lightest of these commandments. Okay, I'll not have a very high place in, in, uh, in the movement. And what was the lightest commandment in the time of Jesus? What was the commandment that was considered to be the least important? It's, it's, uh, it's actually quite instructive. And uh, it's found in Deuteronomy 22. And in Deuteronomy 22, it tells us the following. It says, if you come across a bird's nest, you know, besides the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to, met, to, be sure to let the mother go, right? some understanding of uh, being cruel to animals or not overly exploiting nature. Doesn't sound terribly important, does it? But interestingly, the verse goes on to say, so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. Now, what other commandment has that same promise? Honor your father and mother, which is a serious commandment, isn't it? 
You know, it's a serious commandment, which by the way, probably means in essence to financially provide for your father and mother and their old age. Yes, primarily, that's the meaning of the commandment. Um, it was a society in which there was no social security or pension fund. So if you want things to go well with you, or you think want things to go well in your society, so the lightest commandment, and one of the, you might say, the most serious commandments, they have the same promise. And so for Jesus, right, what we call commandments, what we call the Torah, what we call uh, guidance and instruction, is again something that uh, we need to take very, very seriously. Now, this produces kind of a tension. How, how if, if, if this still has some authority, yes, how do we interpret? Because interpretation is equally as important as acknowledging the authority of Scripture. There are a lot of groups, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses, they all believe in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture, but their interpretation is wrong. But Jesus is saying, and he, by the way, this makes, this makes a claim, yes, for, um, for who he is, right, as, as one who is king. He's making the claim, I have the authority to interpret Scripture, and I want you to follow Yes, my interpretation. And of course, the Gospels will help us to explain that, and the, epistle, the epistles will, for, will explain it further. But it still creates some tension, and it requires some work on our behalf. So why is it, if the Torah has, you might say, has authority, why is it we are not eating kosher necessarily? Why, is it, why isn't it that we don't um, require circumcision, yes? And so all of these things need to be sorted out for us. But by the way, the short answer to those two questions is quite simple. It's because the Torah or the Old Testament never requires kashrut or, or eating kosher or circumcision or more, yes? It does, these things are never incumbent upon the Gentiles. Gentiles are not to take on a Jewish lifestyle. Now, the, the importance of all this is to go back to the beginning of our passage. In the beginning of our passage, um, Jesus has the following to tell us. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, meaning you, we read this, oh, he's talking to me personally. No, he's talking to his community. He's talking to those in his movement who have made him king or made him Lord and are willing to commit wholeheartedly to following him. And saying this is another way of saying, be holy as I am holy. And when God gives the commandment to Israel to be holy, it's always in a community. It's not merely about personal holiness, 
right? It often, it is often always about community, communal holiness. Listen to this verse. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I am the Lord your God. So we as a community, not just, not just us as individuals, we as a community, we are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled you know, under, the feet, uh, under the feet of men. So if we, if we don't take, well, first of all, Jesus goes on to talk about light. How is it that we're salt or light? Just by saying, oh, Jesus, or oh, come to our, uh, come to our worship service. No, we're salt or light, right? If we're living, the, living out the Beatitudes, imitating the life of Jesus, or sharing in the life of Jesus. We're salt or light if we're taking, right? We're taking scripture and his commandments seriously, or the com our commandments as he interprets them, or as we find them expressed, at least in the, uh, in the, new, in the new Testament. But if we don't do our job, at least in the case of the salt, what happens, we're thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. And that's exactly what's happening in the church today. Because we haven't taken this stuff seriously. We haven't taken discipleship seriously. Right? We haven't taken the Beatitudes seriously. We haven't taken the Torah or the teachings of Jesus seriously. See, we're all sidetracked. We're sidetracked by conspiracy theories. We're sidetracked about uh, the vaccine. Um, we're sidetracked about uh, uh, even divided you know, politically and spend our time bashing uh, uh, our political opponents and it's no wonder that a lot of young people are leaving the church. They're leaving the church because we don't take Jesus seriously. Yes? Now, I'm not saying politics are unimportant. Uh, I'm not saying that maybe there are issues, especially with gov government overreach uh, during the pandemic. All of these things can and should be addressed. But surely that's not our central focus, is it? Right? We're only light and salt, right? If we take seriously, right? Take seriously the teachings of Jesus and we're willing to follow him. And if we don't, the consequences is that we bring humiliation to ourselves. It's, that's being trampled under the feet of men, right? Turn, click on social media, turn on any news channel, and what do you hear? 
scandal after scandal in the church, especially sexual, sexual scandals of abuse, um, preying on children, uh, uh, division, fights within the church, um, people who don't have a kingdom approach, there are uh, ministries, ministers, and congregational members who want to build some kind of an empire, who can't be poor in spirit. And so the church is undergoing judgment, and we're being judged, and it's, it feels horrible. But it's not, it's not only the church that suffers, we're also bringing, or we're also desecrating the name of God. Now, Jesus calls us not only to be followers, but to participate with him or be partners in this kingdom of heaven movement. This movement, his expanding redemptive movement that's bringing healing and reconciliation, yes, and bringing people to repentance and transformation. And it comes with huge, huge blessings. And isn't the greatest blessing to know that what we're doing, right, is that we're bringing the, God's life or God's power, right, into the lives of others or into our family or into our community, right, which brings about a change or a transformation Isn't that a reward enough? But there are many other rewards. But along with all the rewards come great responsibilities, huge responsibility. And uh, we've been entrusted with something incredibly valuable and we have to use it in the most responsible way. So that uh, at the end of our, um, a few verses down, so people will see how we live, not just what we believe, see how we live and glorify God in heaven. And how should we live? It says in the end of Matthew chapter five, we, the, the movement that is following Jesus, we need to be perfect, just as our heavenly father is perfect. And that might seem daunting and impossible, yes, but the meaning of the word to be perfect is to be mature or to be, uh, to be complete. It has the implications of growing into something. Um, it has the implications of living a life that has integrity, right? Living a life uh, that's... Uh, uh, that is ethical and moral. And it is not something, as daunting as it may seem, that any of us have to do at one time. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a learner. It means that transformation doesn't have to come, doesn't come necessarily immediately, but it comes. It comes when we uh, put into practice, right, the teachings of Jesus. And if sometimes we can't put into the practice, we can't put those things into practice, 
because there might be something blocking or stopping us. It's always interesting, you know, amazing to me how Jesus in this gospel attaches healing together with teaching. Healing oftentimes comes before teaching and those things that block us, whether it's our own our inability to forgive others, it's our anxiety or our inability to trust our God our Father because our fathers were not uh, very godly, or it's uh, our self-hatred sometimes, whatever those things may be, the Holy Spirit is always there to bring healing and to enable us, yes, to live the life, uh, to continue on the path of being a disciple, being a student, being a learner. And again, of all of this is the connected to the kingdom of God. What does Jesus teach us about his kingdom or his kingship or the way that he rules and reigns over us? He tells us that the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts small in our life. It's like yeast, but as a, like a mustard seed or like yeast, it expands and it expands and it continues to grow. And I've said this before, but we can say it almost every week. Can we ask ourselves, is Jesus, the, his authority, my willingness to obey his teaching and to follow his example? Yes. Is, um, is that growing in my life? Is Jesus more in charge, more king over me today than he was five years ago? Or am I stuck and pretty much at the same place? Yes. Has, his, has uh, his authority expanded? Has my willingness to obey, even if it's sacrificial, has that grown? Or has it gone backwards or even stayed the same? Indeed, that is our challenge. Taking the life and teachings of Jesus seriously, taking his commandments seriously, so that it's not only for our own good, but also because it brings holiness to the community, which not only brings access to God and intimacy with God, but also allows us to be salt and light in this very, very broken world. So let's pray. Father, we uh, indeed, we need your grace and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things. We don't. Uh, we acknowledge we can't do them only in our human flesh. But Lord, we pray that uh, you will give us the wisdom and the insight, the discipline, and Lord, even the ability, Lord, to depend on you, that you would indeed transform us. And uh, we ask that uh, as learners or students that uh, we will grow and change not just as individuals, but as families and churches and communities. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would shine through us and allow us, Lord, in the places where you put us to be that light and salt for a very desperate world. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.